Uh, this is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. I'm Dave Vanderveen, and uh, you know the Kick Aspirational Podcast is all about helping people break through barriers in their life. And today we are going to be interviewing Pat Parnell, Patricio, as his friends call him. He is uh, he's famous as a uh, not only a professional athlete but also as a as a, a personality. He's been uh, 12 years with NBC Adventure Sports World. He's been with the uh, with the X Games as an announcer with the U.S. Summer and Winter Olympics. He's been on ESPN, on MTV, um, and is currently with Outside TV. Pat, welcome to wow. uh, to Kick Aspirational. That's uh, quite an intro. Yeah. Good morning. Good day, sir. Good to be here. <laughs> good day to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pat and I both live in Laguna Beach, although not together. Yeah. <laughs> although that's uh, not frowned upon in Laguna Beach. It's, uh, it's that type of town, which is great. Very open-minded and uh, lots, of, uh, lots of options to have fun. That's open, good. open for anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as 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 you like to say, Pat, don't fight the fun. Uh, yeah, I think it's a mantra that we all uh, embody and embrace on a not just on a, maybe occasionally a weekend here and there. It's twenty four seven. It's a daily. We live it. We breathe it. It's it's work to find the fun and also not to force it. So <laughs> we try to find the happy happy middle ground. And uh, and you know we we've just been on um, a very fun-fueled uh, weekend trip. Uh, you contacted me late in the evening, uh, right. saw, Thursday night. Yep, saw, saw the like the low-pressure system moving into Mammoth and knew it was, what, snowing for about six days, mm-hmm. over, over a little over seven feet, and the top hadn't opened, and I knew that the uh, opportunity to strike had to be like hard and fast, and that meant waking up at 3.30 in the morning and driving six hours to Mammoth and getting, getting there right when the chairs would be popping open. And right. Right, and I happened to be in L.A. Yeah. on a bit of a pub crawl yeah. with, with some uh, basketball professionals at the time. That, that no, you were you were in. To be fair, you were definitely tying one on, and I think it just shows your uh, ability to kind of uh, kind of seize the moment, but also make uh, really poor decisions so, <laughs> regularly, like, regularly. I was surprised, but uh, I, I welcomed the uh, I welcomed the spirit. Yeah, no, I was with, uh, I was actually with David West, who used to be a power forward for the, uh, for the Golden State Warriors, and, um, and another gentleman that I work with on some other projects, and uh, when I saw your call, you know, there was a tinge of regret, but also it was the opportunity to engage that, that got me moving, and um, so thank you for that yeah. text. So we, we left, uh, I drove back around 10.30 from L.A., Rolled up, loaded up the car, slept for a few hours, picked you up at 3.30. We were on the hill by 9 o'clock. Yeah, easily. And um, and then it was off to the races. It yeah, was a, we it was won't a... do a, a, a blower-by-blower blower account, but it was <laughs> a good powder, a good day. It turned into a – normally we try to uh, pack in as much fun into 48 hours yes. of awesome, which we'll get to. But uh, this was just under, and, yeah, pretty insane that you can be here in Laguna, hop in your car, and – be skiing and then also surfing in the same day. Yeah. I mean, literally skiing the backside of Yosemite at Mammoth. And then on the same day, we, we could have been surfing if we yeah. wanted to. We did surf. We yeah. did stand up paddle well, the next day. That is true. Uh, the day, but that day I came back and went right right into Supercross. A2 was, was up. So yeah. <laughs> I had dinner with uh, with our new congressman, Harley yeah. Ruda, which was exciting, who you've also uh, been a fan of. Yeah. I think. Yeah. He's, uh, he's doing, uh, doing good stuff. So our uh, expectations are, are high, as they should be. Very high. So, um, so Pat, I'd like to dig in a little bit to your background. We've known each other for a while here in Laguna Beach, um, since our days on Brook Street. Yeah. And um, and you actually, this is kind of funny. Um, I think it was two thousand five, maybe. Uh, we made a movie. There was a movie that some friends and I made called Unsalted about surfing on the Great Lakes, and yeah. you actually did the voiceover for that. I did. I, I, think, the introduction, I think what you'd be what referring to, too, I think it's uh, our coverage of it. I hosted, a, um, during my tenure at NBC, I hosted, one of the shows I hosted was World of Adventure Sports. It was sponsored by Jeep for, for many years. And it was an amalgamation of, we get stuff from TGR, this and that. And we would all also do a lot of features on our own through the NBC Sports production team. Right. But we did it, yeah, we did a piece uh, that we showcased, uh, Unsalted, and like a nine-minute like, segment. What's that? It was a nine-minute segment yeah. on NBC. It was really well, it was, great. Yeah, it was good stuff. So that... Uh, th- that is weird because yeah, I ended up doing that and then ended up um, fast forward to a different time when I was hosting the Daily Habit, which was a you know variety. Primarily, initially started as Fuel kind of, TV, yeah, yeah, Fuel TV for action sports. But we uh, we had some of the uh, 
the eco warrior. Yeah, we, 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 <laughs> we did. J- James Pribram. Yeah, yeah. Jamo and I went down and we tried to get arrested in Chicago. Did we're unsuccessful at getting arrested for paddling along the, the shoreline, but um, but we did discover some uh, some pollution that you know we put a spotlight right. on and and uh, thank you for that coverage via Fuel TV and the it's Daily. The least Habit. I could do. Least yeah. I could do. We're all on this planet together. Yeah. We might as well do what we can to clean it up. So um, so how did I, I think a, you know for a lot of people. Uh, you know the X, the excess brand and that was kind of the genesis of Kick Aspirational is all about helping people break through barriers in their life, doing more than they thought they could, and um, you know so part of what I like to do on this is bring people in from different walks of life so they can tell some of their stories about their failures, their successes, but um, but also how they got to where they are. I think you know when when you know a lot of people watch your life, whether it's on you know, broadcast television or social media. We were going down to a concert around the holidays, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a young Marine who recognized you instantly on the train, and um, and uh, you know was excited about that. People see your life; they see you getting to go to the X Games, getting to snowboard, ice climb, do all these different things uh, for your work, which seems a lot like play. How did you? What were the steps? I mean, if you're going to sit, you know, talk to 18-year-old or 16 or 15-year-old Pat Parnell. What were the steps that that got you to where you are today? Well, and what would what would what advice would you give? I'd somebody? love to say that I have a you know a secret mission state statement mantra, but I don't. I mean, I could start with my failures. Um, uh, one of them, I, I yeah, I'm a failed art major. I was uh, kind of bouncing. <laughs> I was doing Saturday High um, scholarship program at Art Center College of Design, going uh, bouncing to OC, ready to transfer. Had an internship set up at. You know, Wakeman DeForest. So, so I mean, you, I should so say, you grew up here, right? You grew yeah, up in I, I was I was um, weaned on the waters uh, in Laguna, <laughs> braised to perfection. I like to say. So yeah, I'm definitely a product of uh, Southern California, and that it definitely, I think, uh, it, it shows in the things that I'm into, uh, for the most part. So I, yeah, I was a art student. Um, was interning at Wakeman DeForest, and then I was going to go to, uh, uh, I think, Shayate Mojo that summer. And I stumbled. Shiite Mojo. That's so. That's the Shiite agency. For yeah. They're like. Yeah. Uh, so I had an internship set up there, and I was kind of on this fast track coming from Art Center. I had a connection there, and you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be like Michael on Thirty Something, have my own ad agency, and so I could say that okay, that part is a failure. Um, and so, so you discovered that being, you know, the art agency world wasn't something I that was going to work for you. I did, but not at that point. I okay. still was holding on to it and kind of thinking that I had to do, you know, do the good fight. Um, but oddly enough, while I was going to Art Center, I booked a Mountain Dew commercial that I shot in uh, in inline inline Mountain Dew commercial shot in New Zealand. So you were you were effectively rollerblading. Yeah. Were yeah. you wearing rollerblades well, they, well, or was it a different say, brand? They say uh, it's kind of like the Kleenex uh, of facial tissue. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, they were rollerblades. And uh, I had to skate. And obviously it was like, this is, we're going, this is like 80, 1988. How old were you then? What's that? <laughs> I'm a half a century. Yeah. So, I mean, now you're half a century. So in 18, was, so we're the same age roughly. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I so was uh, was, still uh, in my teens. Were you out of, out of, you were out, out of high school, school then. Yeah. Out of high school. About a year out of high school. So anyhow, I... Uh, prior to that, I, I randomly booked a skimboarding part in like a Sunkissed Soda, but that, did, that was just like kind of a one-off. But I, this was this a dream job, like you know, fly fly to New Zealand first class in the middle of winter, and shoot on this commercial, and I hit it off, and we had had a great time shooting in Auckland, and I hit it off with the production team. Uh, I think it was Plum Productions at the time, uh, and this and also commercial budgets back then were just out of this world, so it was definitely high level. Hit it off with them. They asked me to come down and be a PA on the on the second shoot, which was flying around in helicopters around Milford Sound in Queenstown. Wow, beautiful! And, yeah, Island. so that was my job, just kind of dealing with the athletes. And I got it. That's that was my where I really um, got my first taste of production and the, the excitement that comes with that of like going. It's almost like a military. So you operation. started as talent. Although you were booking your, yourself as talent, it sounds like. Yeah. And then you ended up doing talent, production. Yeah, work. yeah, and obviously having no ego whatsoever. Like, yeah, I'll be a PA. And I think that's it, it speaks a little bit to when these opportunities that do come up in people's lives. One thing I've always tried to be okay with is just putting the ego aside. And if it's an opportunity, take the opportunity for the experience. Say so, yes. Yes. <laughs> just say yes. And like, you know what? Well, after after it's all said and done, then you can then make your assessment. So right. that happened, and it started to snowball. My my instructors started to get a little bit more salty about me missing more time because from that, as these things usually happen in commercial work, I, it started snowballing. I started booking a lot of stuff. 
Um, and I had a long, hard decision process. Am I going to let go of kind of the advertising dream? Can I always go back to that? I mean, I, I spoke to my parents about it and I just, I started to have all this opportunity. And from that, it just snowballed at the same time X Games was coming up. Sure. Um, and I realized, kind of had a knack for uh, being in front of the camera on the mic. Yeah. There's a... You've got a face be, made for radio. I mean, it's, I do have, <laughs> uh, and which is which is odd. Here we are. So you've got a great voice for podcast, for audio. and it's come full over. circle. Yeah, if those are yours. You're just listening. Yeah, definitely. The, you have the advantage. So, so that's how it. Yeah. I mean, that's the long about way. I mean, I could go in. There was there was obviously there was key points where. But you were you you were hustling. I mean, you booked yourself. You you got involved. You, you had the talent. I'll give you a great example of the hustling. Um, and I've always been unabashed. But I mean, I think especially um, in entertainment, when it comes to actors or people that are looking to get into that space, it's changed a lot. I think so, um, social media and YouTube is has changed the landscape drastically about you know who who moves the needle and who doesn't but yeah. back then it was definitely more there was you know obviously you have this abc cbs you know nbc um fox and espn and uh, in terms of an announcing space but you you had to get into those avenues so right. i was randomly doing stuff uh got in just because of all of us were immersed in the space in the in the first since the first x games at mount adams or i should say fort adams in newport rhode island and from that point i I remember we were doing like little bits and bobs things for ESPN, but it was still hard to penetrate the space. They were still using guys like Susie Colbert or Chris Fallon, Susie Colbert, and they're kind of like the grizzled veterans, but they weren't yet involving people from the action sports space. Right. So I read an article in Wall Street Journal and we were, you know, we were hustling, trying to like kind of live the dream of, you know, being on doing television and kind of action sports um, lifestyle programming. But I read a report in uh, Wall Street Journal that NBC was about to jump into the. Uh, so so the here's landscape. a quick so quick tip. I mean, you were actually re you were educating yourself about the industry, staying up to date on what was happening. I mean, you're. you're I'd say yeah, through, right? through yeah. variety and through I I I lucked upon this article in Wall Street Journal because it's not a typical place where you would see it. Usually, it end up in Variety. Yeah. Um, but I read about it and I was like, what? And then I. It looked, uh, I saw that it was like, um, I think Prime Sports Media, which was kind of the conglomerate with Surfer Magazine and all this. So I reached out to every person I knew, right. like emailing, just blasting my name. Hey, um, you know, hey, we need to catch up. It's been a while. If you wouldn't mind, put my name in the hat. Right. I, you know, I'm willing to work in any capacity. And I did that from the, from the person that provided scrim for the events to the ramp builder, like Jack Murphy was building the ramps, I remember at that time, uh, to... Um, Anybody, like on, just on the board of um, directors that were going to be like you basically drive the new Gravity Games franchise with NBC. Eventually, I got this phone call from David Michaels, who's um, pretty, his brother Al Michaels announces uh, Sunday Night Football, as you know. And David Michaels is a, a very prominent uh, director for NBC. He's done everything from all the Olympics, from gymnastics, ice wow. skating, always. Um, the Michaels brothers. Yes, very, very talented. So, anyhow, I get this phone call from David Michaels. He's like, mm, Pat. This is uh, this is David Michaels. Uh, I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, he's gravity like, in his he's voice. He's like, what do you? No, he's, he does. He has a very, very rough uh, kind of foreboding voice, and he's like, what do, what do you want? And I'm like, well, I just everything. Yeah, <laughs> the world. The answer's always no. Everything. I just said, and I said, uh, you know, just meet me for lunch. Meet me for lunch, um, and let's. And so, uh, you know, because he said, he's like, if I hear your name one more time, like in all the conversations he's dealing with, yeah. kind of the different, like the skateboard, that back then you'd have like, you know, the World Cup, you had the Bostics running the skateboard aspect, and then BMX, you had Matt Hoffman and running the BS series. So every, every person that I kind of knew in every sport had just been bringing up my name. Hey, this is a guy that you might want to consider. Right. So sure enough, we have lunch, and by, at the end of the lunch, he's like, give me your, give me your agent's number. And that started a, a you know a twelve year plus relationship with NBC. Did you have an agent at that time? Yeah, okay. I mean via via all the commercial stuff. Um, but it's uh, even if I didn't, I think it still would have come to fruition. But it it was one of those things of kind of beating down the door. That I think I think if anything, it's the persistence. Um, I try to tell everyone to be persistent, but. I mean, it's easier, easier working said. the angles, hustling, and um, uh, being ready for the call. Well, and this kind of gets to what I think what you like to um, talk about a lot, which I think is, which is, it's a strong point in terms of having this family and like leaning on your contacts and, and maintaining those relationships. Yeah. Um, and that's, if you're- It's not you're just talk, about being good or being pretty. 
<laughs> no, no, I think if it was, you'd be in a lot of trouble. But yeah, it's, no, I'm joking. But it's it's it, you have great contacts, people. I mean, everywhere we go, I, when I when we get when I get to travel with you and get to go do things, I mean, like when we were in we were in uh, we were in Mammoth, and we you know, you knew we probably bumped into five or six of your friends while we were up there, and we ended up having you know some yeah. beverages over at Mapiolos's place, yeah. you know. Um, not to drop names, but it's just, you know, wherever we go, there's typically people that you know that have great respect for you and, and like, like hanging out with you, I, I well, guess. Well, okay, so the point I was trying to get to is Sorry. it's, it, well, no, it's running into people with similar mindsets. So if, whether it be excess or whether it be if you're working with uh, a particular brand that attracts people that like the outdoors, that like to do fun stuff. Like you go to fun things and fun stuff, you're going to run into those people. The fun, the, the fun factor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like moss to a porch light. If you're around something that like everyone gravitates towards and that's, you know, that's what you've chosen as your path, you're going you're gonna to meet dynamic, cool people. And I think on top of that is once you meet them is to maintain those relationships. Right. I definitely will... And, and not just not just for business, but you have an a, a authentic, legitimate relationship that at times pays yeah. dividends. I, and I, we can, I think everyone would say this: we can all be better. We can, you know, you know send those thank you cards. And <laughs> right, you know, right. um, I think your wife Sissy would probably. I mean, I mean, she's probably. I don't know. Is she probably better when it comes to that? Oh, way but, better. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I she writes probably ten for every one that I do. But we both try and make an yeah. effort to handwrite an authentic note. That's has some piece of, you know, real meaning in it. Because for what it's worth, when, when situations and opportunities come up like this and you can lean on that, um, uh, that relationship, it, it, you know, that can be the, the, the tipping point for sure. That, yeah. That's been at least my experience in a lot of opportunities. And I've always been, try, I've, um, been unapologetic to vouch and make that connection for people as well. Um, I think that I have a lot of friends throughout the industry that have, they're adamant about not extending that olive branch for people to get them into a, you know, an opportunity. Sure. But I, um, I don't know. I just, I've always, if, if I'm confident on someone's ability, I'm, I've always been comfortable to yeah. help open the door. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I mean, obviously people have to do the work and be competent and, and, and good enough and be appropriate. But I think to your point, um, having relationships where somebody will open the doors is really yeah. essential in, in breaking through. I think, and two, in hindsight, thinking about those days of like early sports and music festival for the MTV and uh, X Games and uh, early days at NBC, it was definitely more cowboy. I think we're seeing a slight um, decline in terms of like the, the overall hype of action sports. It's definitely, be, it's, be, it's, it's changing. It's still obviously a force to be reckoned with. I think nowadays the onus is more on the individual to make it happen. Right. And this gets into doing things like this, like your own podcast, doing, uh, creating your own content in your channel. Uh, Social it's, media. Yeah. It's it's changed drastically. I think it used to be, you know, a, um, one of those things where you'd go to the casting call and you hope that out of a thousand people, you're going to be hosting TRL. Right, right. <laughs> so. <laughs> and that that's, so that's that shift. I mean, how, how important is having a presence, whether it's social media, whether it's a podcast, uh, the different things that are kind of a, puts the onus on the person themselves to drive it. I, I, I think it's massive. I'm, I don't think it's any secret that I'm, you know, I, I kind of recoil uh, when it comes to... You rarely post and you don't like pictures of yourself. <laughs> yeah, All your pictures end up well, everywhere. Well, I just, right? I, I come from, and it, it actually doesn't speak to the, the new generation. I mean, I, I come from a, a time where you basically downplayed everything. You obviously, you, you force that humility like that humble factor, it's something you work on. Well, I mean, maybe if I was Kai Lenny and I had that kind of <laughs> that, that ability and content, and I knew that, but it's for me. I've always been. I try to make it about the person that I'm interviewing, um, what I'm covering. If I'm covering a sport, it's never about me. So there's a, there's a couple of layers to that, but I know it does not work in today's world. I have to. I fight it right. tooth and nail. I occasionally. Yeah, we'll post stuff, um, but I've always, I, I never wanted to be that guy that sprays about everything. Well, I think the old school, like, you know, when we were growing up, the old school mentality was you never promote yourself. If you're good, you'll shine through. Yeah. That just, which is, which is, which is a beautiful, humble uh, kind of a, approach to life. But if you want to actually break through some of these barriers and get, get the recognition, there's so much noise right now. Yeah. That you almost have to have to promote yourself in a in a positive and, and authentic way. But um, like I think to Kai Lenny's, 
I mean, you may disagree with this, but it, to me, Kyle Laney seems like a fairly humble guy who just has an amazing ability. He is, but he, he works at it. I've met, I've met Kai on a variety of occasions and interviewed him and met his family and his, his brother. His parents have done like just a stand-up job. That's something that is ingrained you know, to his everyday thinking, whether it be his, uh, one of his uncles slash uh, fitness coach, Dave Kalama. They, they pound that into him from a right. young age. It's not just, it, it, being humble just doesn't happen. It's something you have sure. to work at. and Especially when you start I, getting attention. Yeah, and sadly, but though, the days of humble bragging are dying, I think, on the vine, like you pointed out. I think it is such a noisy, noisy space to, uh, to see the needle move and to garner attention. Is I think the, those days of uh, the real kind of, you know, uh, understated. <laughs> Underground, yeah. Yeah, but... That's fine. I mean, but, but but I also think. I mean, to your point, I think there is a way to. There's there are ways to promote yourself that just seem super douchey, and then there's ways to promote yourself that do seem authentic yeah. and infused with humility in a way where it's attractive to people that you know that you're doing authentic, yeah. interesting things, and you're just sharing it because you want to take people along on the journey rather yes. than you want to show off, right? Yeah. Well, I I think too, it's uh, you know, what are your um, yeah, what's your motivation and, you know, what's your, what's your end goal of doing what you're doing? And I think if, if it's someone that's trying to build a brand and build, um, build and share something, it totally makes sense. If it's, you know, your buddy from across the street <laughs> that, that, you know, that might, might overly, you know, maybe it gets heavy on the hashtags and, you know, uh, maybe it clog in the feed at, you know, eight, eight posts a day, maybe 10, maybe 15. Why are you staring at me when you no, say that? No, no, not at all. I, 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 I actually totally support uh, what you're doing, and I, and I see the, um, you know, I see the positive benefits um, of what... Well, and I think maybe to your point, too, if, if, if I understand it correctly, I mean, a question that anyone has to ask is, who is my audience and why do they care? And if you can't answer that question, like if you don't know why... If you don't know who you're posting for, are you posting for your wife, for your family, for your kids? Are you posting for people who like to follow you because they do the same things? I think, you know, understanding who you're posting it for helps define your voice and the style, correct? Or is that, would you approach it differently? Yeah. I mean, if you could, I guess if uh, kind of the up and coming, the ones that are young and hungry, uh, if you can figure that out <laughs> before you start, uh, you're, you're, you'd be like 12, maybe 13 steps ahead. So, so... Tell me a little bit about you. Talked about um, your origins here briefly. When we were we were just up skiing and snowboarding in, in uh, Mammoth, and you had said that your father took you the first time when you were quite young. When did you start uh, skiing? I, it might have been three and a half, four. We were at Badger Pass. I was, you know, and where's Badger Pass? Uh, Yosemite. Okay, so it's right above Yosemite. It's uh, you know not a not a massive mountain, but you know it, when you're that young. And yeah, I started on. Bear trap bindings, leather lace-up boots. We had hand-me-down stuff. My dad was a firefighter. Mom was a nurse, so we didn't have a lot of means. But back then, you could uh, you could take a family of five and go skiing. I don't know how people do it nowadays, but yeah, when it's almost two hundred dollars a ticket, it's crazy, <laughs> it's cr- crippling. Yeah, crippling. I mean, you almost have to buy if you're going to ski at all. Yeah. You almost have to buy a pass, yeah. and those are you know yeah. almost a thousand dollars now. Yeah, but I'm very thankful of. Um, my dad and my mom, but you know, primarily it was my, my dad and to have that drive to always be outside. You know, being being a firefighter, um, as probably many families of firefighters will attest, it's it's all about the outdoors. So we were connected to all these other families that we went water skiing. We didn't have a boat, but other firefighters did, and yeah. so we would always go water ski trips. We'd go camping. We'd go to Baja. I mean, um, I mean, we canvassed. You know, uh, you actually Baja. did a whole trip around the United States, didn't you? 1976, I, yeah, I, I did bring this up. It's pretty funny. My dad converted a blue O'Connell line. We called it the Blue Arc. He put, <laughs> blue a, prop- arc. Yeah, he put a blue propane tank in the back. This is 76. 1976, ahead of his wow. time, run on propane. And he had this book of like where all the propane places were to fill up. I mean, this is like like pre-Tesla, pre-anything, that like pre-hybrid. Clean fuel. Yeah. yeah, so we were like, and he built these beds that went in there. We had a bit, a massive cooler. I think we started off with a honey baked ham and we, you know, we would <laughs> go, you know, up. sleep in rest stops. We saw, you know, stop at little Americas, but we went to every state except Alaska and Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken. And we, I remember I was just, I, uh, I was so bummed out when my parents were like, no, you're going on this trip. How old were you? 
uh, I would have been eight. Yeah, you were young. You know, I wanted yeah. to stay, stay and go to the beach with all my friends. I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. Because it, it was basically the entire summer. Right. And we took off and we would stay at relatives and maybe friends of a friend. Yeah. Um, think, you know, definitely think National Lampoon's vacation. We definitely overstayed our, our welcome <laughs> in many places. But went to Williamsburg, went to, uh, went to Mount Vernon, saw the key that Lafayette gave to George Washington to the Bastille Prison, went to Smithsonian, saw the Wiz on Broadway, went to the Everglades, went up to Nantucket. Um, I mean, I, I do you make could, it into um, into any of the famous Nantucket watering holes at that that age? Uh, no, but I, it was in the height of the preppy preppy movement. So I did see a lot of uh, topsiders with duct tape around and uh, really ugly versions of plaid. Did you pick up any Murray's toggery embroidered pants? No, on that no. Trip? You no. could definitely speak volumes about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you visited many a, many a fine haberdashery. Yeah, <laughs> strangely, I have. So. Um, so you're you're on this trip. You you come back, and did did you find that? I mean, living here in Southern California, you know, I grew up outside Southern California, and it was always my dream to get here. One of the things I kind of felt when I got here was not everybody had traveled as much as I thought. That there were a lot of people here. I mean, you're, yeah. you're such a beautiful place. No, all, don't all, and yeah. of all the states, more shocking than any that you don't travel. There's people in California that haven't been to Yosemite. Right. But yeah, it did what that. Did and my, my parents forced us to write in a journal every day? Right. We had a CB. We would get get all uh, good with the, the CB <laughs> what talk. Was your, like, what's what's your, your, what's your I think I call myself the Blue Dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> breaker, breaker, got your ears on. This is the Blue Dolphin. We got some seat covers. Uh, we got the pedal to the metal. So we would write in this journal. We'd talk on the CB. I had this, you know, in in hindsight, I look like, wow, that was so incredible, and it, it instilled the sense of wanderlust. That's still, I mean, it, it's a fire in me that won't go away. And it's really not every you know I have friends that call oh you have such FOMO fear of missing out I'm like no it's it's a curiosity if you can get that fire lit at a young age I mean if you're lucky it'll be the eternal flame that keeps you fueled up for your entire life no I agree I mean obviously with our boys we've we made it a point to take them on almost everything and travel as much as we could when they were young because I feel the same way as you mm-hmm. we, I had a family that we went on epic car trips when yeah. I was I just. There was a video that I posted in a Huffington Post article recently where, you know, I was two years old. My dad got tickets to go watch Apollo 14 launch. My sister was literally two months old. There were three of us, and my older brother was like 18 months older than me. And he, we just jumped in the station wagon and drove from Baltimore down to Cape Canaveral because yeah. Apollo 14 was going up, and that's what that's yeah. what my parents wanted to do. And But I think, you know, when you when that's embedded in you at such a young age, when, you, when you're just, you know, you can you you realize all I have to do is get in the car and drive, and I can go anywhere in this country. Right. It kind of opens the doors of of discovery, and and it's hard to put that that fire well, out. Well, I think speaking to your dad's generation and my parents as well, it's you know I think that they felt a sense of freedom with car travel, and I think nowadays yeah. uh, people have gotten they need stuff way more turnkey. We've definitely our generation a little softer, the generation after that even softer. Well, I mean, it's going to get to the point where it's like, it seems like our generation, you know, the idea of sleeping in your car or camping on the side of the road isn't even an option for a lot of people. Where for our, our, our parents' generation, that was more normal, like staying in a Holiday Inn or a Well, a, a I would motel say was, I wouldn't condone uh, sleeping in rest stops. It was safe like in the 70s. Yeah. But, yeah. but there was, yeah, there was a, definitely a, a, a sense of a little bit more of a sense of adventure. We hope that somehow we can instill well, that I mean I used to do, I used to drive and later when Sarah and I had kids and I we lived in Northern California and I had some business down here um, I would do my last of meeting in out in Redlands you know and get done about 10 then drive to uh, on the way home I would drive up the coast and park at Rincon under the bridge in Carpinteria yeah. and wake up in the morning you know my Honda Prelude and wake up in the morning and go surf at dawn and then drive home yeah. But for me, it was never. You know, sometimes the cops would come knock on your window until you have to move. But it was, I, I think, because I was kind of raised that way. It wasn't that strange to me. Where I think if I tried to suggest that to people who haven't done it, it just seems like such an odd thing. Yeah, I think you know, like I said, they they want stuff a little more laid out. Laid out. Yeah. So, um, so your dad got you going early. You you grew up on the beach here in Laguna, um, commuting from from Wake for from Lake Forest. Yeah. Like for I was a El Toro Charger, okay. yeah. which and back then it was there was a it, it was a different time. There was a, you know, there was a friction. If you didn't live in Laguna and you lived just ten minutes over the hill, yeah, it's like you know, what are you doing here? Yeah, but uh, I was lucky. Like I said, we would rent um, 
Ben, who used to own all these bungalows. I don't I know if you know Pete, his son. But there used to be where, where JMO lives over by uh, Agate Street right yeah. there. That whole bluff used to be uh, undeveloped. And people would pull their cars in the afternoon to watch the sunsets. And painters would set up. And it was a real magical place. Like Pearl Street, Agate Zone was such a cool... The Woods uh, Cove cool, area. Yeah, yeah, and there was all these bungalows. And my parents would rent a bungalow every summer. And that's how I met, I met JMO when I was like a kid. I remember maybe I was like maybe seven or eight. Uh, super young. So you and, made you made a connection with people who lived on the beach there. Pretty yeah, quickly. yeah, and uh, we were surfing on our boogie boards. You know, back then they didn't have you know little soft boards. It was a different different time. But, but I was fortunate that even living just inland, that my parents on a good day they knew better. Yeah, we're getting in the car. Let's go to the beach. Let's go do something. So, so you started with inline skating and boogie boarding, and then made the. <laughs> <laughs> I love you made that connection. Yeah. It's funny as the whole inline. It's funny the the route, like the derogatory. I, I in a way, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes full circle and it becomes. I'm uh, only heckling you because I can. Again, yeah. no, obviously. So, yeah. but I no, I grew up uh, doing everything from I think just like I'm sure it was the same in in Michigan and. Uh, BMX, uh, you know, early days. I mean, I had, I didn't have a big wheel. I had this thing called a cheetah. It was driven by these cables and we would make ramps and then that graduated to BMX bikes. And there actually ended up being a couple of famous places around, not like, kind of like Sheep Hills BMX, but in Mishviejo, we had the Mishviejo dips and Lamadera dips, all these areas where you could ride BMX bikes. And then I got into skateboarding. Um, and now you had ride a, a cougar. We, what's that? Now you ride a cougar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, but I remember we had an indoor skate park called Odyssey. And then around the same time, and I was skiing throughout this whole time. Uh, and then snowboarding started to come around in the kind of mid, mid-80s where you started to you know, know a little bit more about it. It was like really hard to get. You had like that. What was like, your first snowboard? Uh, the first one I rode was a Sims 1400 FE. Those are the ones where the bindings basically, I'm still, my feet are still numb because of the damage those bindings did <laughs> on my instep. So thank you, thank you, Tom Sims, uh, posthumously. Early I'm, bindings were I'm rough. Think, if, it if, was, for listeners who didn't snowboard in the mid-80s, well, you literally had to find shoes that would fit the bindings well, And the, the Sorrells time. had that heel yeah. on it, and then yeah. it was like trying to find a thing with a flat sole, and um, whatever, part of the struggle made it, made it fun. Yeah. So yeah, through that, um, snowboarding and then skateboarding, I remember we were really into skateboarding in high school. We, um, had this funny stories where we built a ramp and half of our friends didn't skate and we skated and we wouldn't tell them where the half pipe was. It was hidden somewhere in the woods. <laughs> I just, this actually happened. Wait, so this is, so this, you would, you wouldn't tell your friends who skateboarded. Where no, they... no, no. We wouldn't tell the ones that didn't skate because okay. they're just like, we just, it was this thing. Yeah. It was like, it was we skate, you don't. for skaters. Yeah, yeah. F you. Um, and so they found out where the ramp was and they went and destroyed it. Whoa. Yeah, like threw rocks through it and then like wrote all this stuff on the ramp. And, you know, we, we were a tight group, but still it was like there was this division. But they didn't realize that he did us a favor. This first ramp we built, it had no flat bottom in it. It was like we basically took a pole and we just didn't know what we were doing. So then it inspired us. And the, the second ramp we built became a legendary ramp in Lake Forest. It was called the Subaru ramp. It was out by, over by the, where the, the 405 and the 5 meet. And in that kind of jungle area where all the dealerships are now, uh, there was just a Subaru dealership. There was none of that other dealership. So you basically would walk into all these trees where it was just like spillway. And we built the second ramp, which was 32 feet wide, oh, wow. 10 feet high, actual pool coping that we, we stole out of these pools in, uh, in Santa Ana. I was going to say, how did, how did you build your... When we, when we were building ramps, we ended up pilfering a lot of the... the lumber. The, we the stole wood, so yeah. much lumber from Nellie Gell, and we basically took upon ourselves to redistribute that. Figure wood. out where the construction sites redistribute were. Redistribute <laughs> that back to the kids, back to the community, our way of giving like back. Robin Hood you know, of skateboarding. Yeah, that's, yeah. How, that's how we'd like to see, you know. I'm a, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm the... It was the same for where I grew up. We, uh, whenever there was a, my parents lived on a lake, and whenever there was yeah. a, a dock going in or something, we'd take a boat yeah. over at night, load it up, and then find a place yeah. to build a clubhouse or, yeah. or uh, something. So that's the, that's the half-pipe story. We ended up becoming all friends again, um, and I think a lot of people, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good situation. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so you ended up taking these, you know, these early, this early love of travel, this early love of, of early, basically action sports from from the beach to the mountains, parlaying it into, um, parnelling it into uh, your, your first uh, work, and then it, that kind of worked into production work. Um, and that, I guess, it, is it correct that that kind of transitioned into the work that was with the Olympics and with some of the other things? Well, yeah, I, it, it was, 
Early on, there was the, a lot of these multi-sport shows because prior to that, I was I ended up starting. Then I, when I made the jump, and I started doing a lot of commercial work. So I mean, everything from just random stuff from Outback Steakhouse to like um, like Hollywood cigarettes to uh, McDonald's, like random. I, I, I did tons of commercials in my my twenties and thirties, um, but it wasn't until like there was also also these multi-sport shows that uh, I had friends that would organize for Six Flags and. Uh, uh, back then, like, you know, Tony Hawk, it was, you know, after like kind of the, the first or second death of like vert skating and he was doing, you know, vert demos for like 300 bucks, 200 bucks in a uh, parking lot. And we were, so we'd What year was that roughly? Was this that in the 90s? This, 90s. Yeah. Wow. In the 90s, pre like Birdhouse, when he started Birdhouse and all the... So he the, went from being like in the late 80s, he was one of the first uh, skaters to buy a house in California. Yeah, right? yeah. It's still doing well, but generally I'm just telling you like back then... He was hustling. Back then, we were so we started these shows where we would go to Six Flags over Georgia and this and that. And I was, um, you know, I was one of the one person in, in the group that was just really comfortable getting on the mic. And I would just say, "The louder you get, the higher they're gonna go." All right, you guys, <laughs> let's bring them in. Three, two, one. It's basically like a party pumper at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that that's that just kind of steamrolled into then just doing more hosting stuff. And from that, I was like, "Oh yeah, I can, I can get on the mic. I, you know, what do you want to sure. talk about?" And so that's. That's that was the natural progression of that. It was nothing that was ever planned. I wasn't a journalist major or journalism major, I should say, and um, it just it happened by accident, by default. I, I will say that I've never been really motivated by stick and ball sports. Yeah. I mean, I've been I was given a lot of opportunities uh, during my time at NBC. I remember when they came up with arena football and they wanted to instill a little excitement and get a younger guy to announce. They tried to get me to announce arena football, and I was like, I respectfully pass. I can't. Not your, not, not your thing. It's You're just, not passionate about it. so it's, how, yeah. yeah. And I've just always cared uh, way more about snowboarding. The interesting thing, how I got, I finally got the opportunity. I was doing stuff with Gravity Games. And I don't know if you remember when, when Chick Hearn, when he retired from the Lakers, there was a guy that was announcing, he was doing the play-by-play for snowboarding with Kevin Delaney. I want to say that they... They were doing a little bit of the Chevrolet Grand Prix, which were the feeder system into the Olympics. And I remember when Chick Hearn stepped away... Um, this gentleman moved into Chick Hearn's spot, therefore opening it up the position. And I, I'll never forget the call I got was like, "Hey, Pat, this is so and so from NBC," because you know, I was doing some stuff for them, but not in a, in a real broad capacity. And yeah, we're interested in getting you to do the you know the Grand Prix. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> and kind of, um, kind of, I was so nervous that the first one because I knew what was at stake. But they saw something, obviously, they saw the hunger and uh, the passion that I had. And um, I mean, I learned I, I, working with NBC and the guys like David Michaels uh, and Billy Matthews and really talented producers and directors, I would always learn more in one day at NBC than I would in, you know, 20 days announcing somewhere else uh, in terms of learning the craft and the storytelling and, you know, yeah. piecemealing stuff to like kind of spoon feeding to the masses. A little that's, bit. that's amazing. So. You and you and I have been on a couple trips lately. Now you're with Outside TV, mm-hmm. and um, how did you make the transition to Outside TV? So you were at the Daily Habit for a long time with Fuel. Yeah, it was kind of at the same time. I was double dipping with uh, with NBC and Fuel, and obviously Fuel in its heyday was it, it, things were going really well. I mean, oddly enough, a lot of people don't know this. The channel was doing consistently better each year. I think it got to the point where it was making thirty million plus. Wow. Uh, each year, but they wanted obviously for for Fox they. For them, they want something more turnkey. They don't have to put a lot of work into it. And for them, they could put on lacrosse <laughs> and college softball and make the same amount of money, if not more. Because they'd already built the viewership. Did that cause the viewership to drop off? Well, when they started a- adding MMA, there was definitely a blowback. Um, and I don't think, in hindsight, I don't think Fox realizes what the gem that they had. I mean, whatever I say about F- Fuel TV, it's going to sound like sour grapes. But it's it's far from far from that, I think. It was an amazing run. I think it could have continued. I think it, the thing that held Fuel TV back from becoming a, a phenomenon was that it just it wasn't in enough homes. Right. I think the people that, you know, ha- happened Had to access, have Fuel TV yeah. on their TV, it was what they aired. You know, it's what they just would flip on in the afternoon. Sure. And I think that the fact that they, they couldn't get past that tipping point to get into maybe 120 million, 150 million plus homes. Yeah. There's that, that tipping point. And obviously a lot has changed now on the linear front with TV channels. So at that time, yeah, it was NBC, Fuel. And as when Fuel went away, um, I did a year with uh, ASP and announced when they were kind of rebranding. Association of Surfing Professionals, yeah. Yeah. So I did that. And it, but 
a couple years prior to that, one of the directors or producers I worked a lot with uh, during my time at NBC, Chris Crowley, he went over to Outside Television and he asked me while I was doing, it was actually while I was doing the stuff with ASB um, or w, WSL, they had this new series called Outlook Icons uh, Revealed and it was a show basically like what First Hand used to be, like a profile show, but I'd be the embedded reporter and would spend about three to four days with these with certain individuals, whether they be from music or adventure sports or celebrities that have a, a love for the outdoors. And so it was a you know, dream come true. Yeah. yeah. And he's been, uh, they were outside was always really open for me to take the reins and kind of, uh, kind of chart, chart, chart the waters for, uh, to get other people that are kind of maybe outside of their wheelhouse. So it's been, it's been an amazing opportunity. We've done everyone from like Conrad Anchor and Jimmy Chin to, uh, Taylor climbers. Hawkins, yeah. like yeah, go mountain biking with Taylor Hawkins to Jake Burton. And to, Taylor Hawkins, the drummer from the Foo Fighters. Yeah, and you went mountain biking with him as yeah. one of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. And Amazing. so we would do, uh, I'm trying to think of brand like Julia Mancuso, Olympic skier, to Kai Lenny, to who's a world class stand up paddler, surfer, towing artist, yeah. windsurfer. Yeah. So that's that was how my relationship relationship started with the outside, and then from that, I took advantage of the relationship of trying to m marry my love of travel high-end, drinking fine wines, as I know you're no stranger to. And then kind of like the pinnacle sporting pursuit aspect and then uh, find locations, you know, for more discriminating taste. And that's when we started the expedition series. And we started one with, in Iceland. Then we went to Chile. Then we did Namibia. And we and, just did New Zealand. Which, and in Iceland, you were surfing, right? You were on a, yeah, a sailboat yeah. so we, or a tika. Well, a couple of us, we were with Julian Carr, Rachel Burke, uh, Hagen Kearney, uh, and a handful Was Chris of Burkhardt others. on that? What's that? Was Chris Burkhardt on the Iceland trip? He wasn't, okay. no. So this was where we just went through Bori Adventures and went out to East of Fordier, uh, stayed in this amazing place. It's the, the only West structure. Fjords? What's that? Is that the West Fjords? Or? Uh, yeah, I would say West Northwest, Okay. up to the top there. And... We stayed out in this old potato farm, I think from the 1800s. It's this cement structure that they're slowly <laughs> refurbishing, but a really cool, they had a, a natural wood sauna out, oh, wow. out, the, out the back um, where we would get drunk and watch the Northern Lights. But <laughs> that actually, that, that trip was this opportunity where we're just like, yeah, let's, let's do a show. I've got, and this gets back to how we started today's discussion of, I have this relationship at outside. Wait, why don't we do this? You know, I could bring it to them on a, on a platter and they're going to love it because we we have the relationship where we could on speed dial. We could uh, could call any athlete, whether it be a skier, surfer, snowboarder. Um, and they have we have that trust in that relationship. They'd love to come on the trip. I've responded to the call every time. you <laughs> And I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So. So the um, so you and I were in New Zealand together um, because the excess brand is uh was interested to try and participate in a, in a tasteful way in your show. Yeah. And uh, you came up with this idea that I thought was fantastic called 48 Hours of Awesome. Yeah. What, what, is, what is that all about? Well, I think it's, uh, whether it be a weekend warrior approach, and I think you, I mean, I think you kind of take this approach on a lot of your travels because you end up in the most random places <laughs> and you have, you know, you meet these ambassadors and um, they want to have fun, you want to have fun. It's, it's a recipe for good times. <laughs> and so I thought how much we we're, uh, the fact that the show, we already kind of initiated that we were going to go to New Zealand and the fact that you'd been to Queenstown, I'd been there. And I thought, what a, what a great way to lean on some of the relationships that you have, uh, whether it be sheep shearing, which I can't yeah. believe we actually did. Yeah, um, yeah that was Tony <laughs> Henderson, yeah. who's, uh, who's one of our, you know, yeah. top, top, uh, top business partners. He grew up down in the South Island, south south of Queenstown, and and uh, his family still sheep shears, and we went fly fishing with those guys. Yeah, yeah. and Rolly his brother. His Rolly his brother. Which I mean, this guy, I, I, crazy fit, and he was trying to break down just the caloric burn on when you have to shear sheep. Yeah, Not only like, is it emotionally draining because you you, you, <laughs> you catch eyes with the sheep, but it's never look him in the eye. Yeah, never look him in the eye. It's physically draining. You feel so bad for these little guys. Okay, of all the things we did, so we did we did bungee jumping. Yeah. We did that. Uh, we also did the jumping off that, that so cable. There's the fox, the fox, uh, canyon fox. Canyon fox, which is uh -huh. actually scarier than bungee yeah. jumping because you, you, the, the the fall is much more. You don't catch until you're at the bottom. You manhandled it though. You definitely approached it way more machismo <laughs> than I did. Yeah. I started off with the front flip, thinking that would kind of break through the ice. Yeah. 
Also, the uh, I thought the 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 trike ride was quite quite powerful. <laughs> no triking, but we did do. No, I rode a trike off the ramp. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, okay. Superman. Yeah, it was a trike. Okay, I, I totally <laughs> forgot about that aspect. But we it wasn't the shot over, but we did the, you know version of the shot over uh, jet boat. We just did it one of those. It was K jet. K jet. I actually that to me of all the things that I've done, I think that makes more sense for someone to go feel adrenaline. Yeah rather than go to like Magic Mountain or Disneyland. That oh, was yeah. one of the cooler things we did. And then the most humbling thing was we went river surfing, which is basically floating down. I'd say, I think it was about maybe class two. Nothing, I don't think it was anything crazy. There was maybe some sections, maybe class three yeah. rapids on a boogie board. There were probably some class three when we were surfing. Yeah, and so, you know, our the, our instructor, we had Dallas, which was one of them. He had the <laughs> most beautiful mullet and a, and a teenage Dallas, mutant, Utah. mutant ninja turtle tattoo on his back, right? That was stunning. So when we, we walk up, it's kind of cold. It's, the it's you know, the, the fall in New Zealand, and he's kind of covered up. And you could see the magnificent mullet. Oh. It was, it definitely said, yeah. you know, all work in the front, but he was partying it, it hard was in the mutant, back. It was a mutant mullet, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Teenage mutant. Uh, and then mullet. when he takes his shirt off, he yeah. had like a... <laughs> Like it, he was a tall man, and it filled filled his entire yeah. back. Uh, what was it, Donatello? I forget which, or Raphael? I forget which. Oh, which I celebrate. Ninja I celebrate the whole team. I think they're doing wonders. Uh, so he had a yeah. mutant ninja turtle tattooed on his yeah. back. Um, but then the, the point I was trying to make is the other guy that was leading the charge was yeah. a rather short. Uh, I'll say ro- robust or rotund. Not. I just. I'm like looking at this guy. I'm like. Huh. He was thick with life. Yeah, and. I was thinking to myself, wait a second, you know, is this, is this, how's is this, this guy going to do in the rapids? You know, we're used to surfing and it doesn't, I, you know, I can handle myself in a variety of conditions. You know, I'm. Uh, so we put like what, five mil wetsuits on? Pretty, no, I think I was four. Four, four. mil. It wasn't too bad. I wasn't cold per se, but I'll never forget when we were at that standing wave and we kind of gone through like three waves. You have to jump in, you get sucked and then you have to start working. So you basically stay on that wave. It's no different like than Snake River and right. a lot of these standing waves. But I remember after the third time, the the guide who... You know, obviously I made my judgment and assessment that th- there's no way this guy's in shape. He's like, hey, do you want to go again? Because he was already, oh, he, was he went, in, a, went yeah. in a few times. And I was like, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> if I go in there right now, you know, I know my the limits. The amount of kicking we were no, doing. No, but was, so, yeah. but that's the thing. It's that you're you're overcompensating. It's the same thing when you watch someone going out and surf like two to three foot waves. And they're just, they're dying. And these are like, sometimes you get pro athletes. We've had, I've, uh, I've gone out with uh, Richie Schley, who I know you've had on, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, local mountain bikers uh, slash pro skier. And uh, he's an avid sup surfer. And uh, But he's, you know, other pro mountain biking friends will come into town. These guys are in peak shape. Right. And they literally, it's like two foot and they're dying. Right. They literally last maybe four minutes. And it's, it's in a way for me, it's awesome to see. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But that, that, the, the 48 hours of awesome that we did in New Zealand, not only was it fun, but there was like, I love that there was a humbling component. I'm like, oh yeah, I have a lot to learn how, when to kick, you know, when we were trying to duck dive the seams and pop down uh, lower river, but it's... Um, the seams were a lot of fun. That's where two streams of the river yeah. come together and, and you, it, you can dive, you can duck dive and then ride underwater. And it's like hitting a turbo boost. You yeah. literally go like four times the speed underwater. Um, well, I remember Dallas told us nobody yeah. ever stays yeah. underwater for more than eight seconds. And we, <laughs> we were riding it for, he was a little concerned after uh, I know. after one of the first or second pop-ups. But I, I want to finish the thought on 48 Hours of Awesome because I think it was one of those things that having you on the trip, you know, cause we always have different athletes and, or, and we also try to, um, we, as of late, we're trying to utilize a lot more local, local perspective and local experience. But it, uh, it got me to thinking is that, you know, the 48 hours concept is that, that we came up with it for this, uh, for the Queenstown segment, but it, it definitely is one of those things that I'd love to see that lives, you know, beyond expedition series. And, uh, you know, we talked about it, about trying to expand it to, the kind of the excess family because it, it, like we were talking about Japan and ba- like all the stories that you have there. Sure. It seems like every time I hear you come back from a trip, you're like, oh, we we I, were. I was with some of our some of our business partners and yeah. like for example in Japan, they're amazing snowboarders, yeah. riding the gentum sticks and doing the, the carvings powders powder snowboarding and you know they they took me on one of the best snowboard trips I've ever been on out of yeah. bounds and you know snowshoeing in it was incredible but that but it's not isolated is my point is that you could um, I guess this is and this is a call to arms on on, on your side but I feel like you can uh, wherever you go you could find somebody as doing long as something you, cool yeah, yeah as long as you as long as you have the time or make the time yeah I feel like uh, I, I was just in northern Borneo I went to Borneo twice this year and last year I was in northern Borneo, and, uh, you know, I was like, uh, 
don't really want to stick around in Borneo. It's, uh, you know, I wanted to get to Indo and do a little surfing, went to Similu, but which was a lot of fun. But when I was leaving, uh, the staff person who was hosting me there was like, oh, you really shouldn't go. There's this big event coming up. There's all this fun we can have. And I was trying to, what I had asked them was, could we take a sailboat from Borneo to Southern Philippines? Turns out that's a bad to very bad idea because of pirates, apparently. Yeah. Which could make it a great idea. Actually. Well, it, you claim to be an excess pirate, so that's yeah. uh, that could be right. right I always wanted wheelhouse. to be a pirate king. <laughs> my chance, right? But the uh, no, but so I ended up going somewhere else. But you know, as I was leaving, I was like, man, if I'd only known, maybe I would have stayed in northern Borneo and find, had an even more magnificent adventure than I had. I'm, Similu was a lot of fun off off the coast of West Sumatra. But um, but I, th- I think to your point is there's so much to do if you're just open to it and if you ask and if you're a good traveler. Yeah. Um, a lot of people invite you and take you to places you didn't even know existed. Yeah. So, when does um, when does this this New Zealand episode on Outside TV air? When do you think it might air? Well, they they're super psyched on it it's just because of the the summer content. Because we've uh, another thing we didn't mention, we caught up with Carl Tiny Williams uh, race for yeah on on the on the sailing. He does all the. Um, so he was like the youngest uh, Kiwi to win uh, the Ameri- to be on the cup that uh, the team that won the America's yeah. Cup. Yeah, and I right? believe he did some announcing with the uh, the Quantum Series too, right? Yep. Yeah, he, he was he was on the uh, he worked with us on the Fifty Two Super Series last summer yeah. a little bit. Yeah, he's such an incredible guy, and I love what he's doing with the Rough Diamond project, and uh, which we can. So yeah, I mean, he's a he was a top pro, still is a top pro sailor. He also decided that then he wanted to become a top pro bike racer, uh, pedal bike racer, yeah. which which he did. Then he decided he wanted to become a world-class judo judo wrestler, which he did. Um, and his his rough diamond series is basically taking the lessons of how to start over and break through and, and create something. Um, I mean, they, yeah, we've got yeah. interviews with him. There's there's some remarkable content. Yeah. So trip. my uh, and he was one of the other you know of the of the four segments. Uh, he was that he was that uh, excess connection that we made. I'm like, hey, do you know anyone in the sailing world? And you you know you hooked me up with Lars, and it was literally. Two degrees of separation before I before I knew it from our friends I, at the Fifty Two Super Series to Carl. Yeah, so yeah. that's so. Here's an example of me knowing that I'm going to New Zealand, then leaning on you. Uh, hey, can uh, can you can you bro me out? Can uh, you slip Find me some connection. Rolodex Rolodex love? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And within within two emails, you know, I'm talking back and forth with a rock star of sailing, Lars. Uh, Lars Bocking. Yeah, yeah, Lars Bocking. And then he got he has me talking with Tiny, and then we get to meet Tiny's mom, who's also a legend, has taught more right. popu- more people how to sail than Probably anyone else on the planet. most of New Zealand to sail, yeah. So anyhow, that's uh, before I forget that point, because I know I'm, I'm jumping all around here, but um, outside when they when they saw the show, they're like, this is amazing. We love how it's condensed. There's some really compelling stories, but it's more spring-summer based, so they're kind of holding it off into to first quarter, second quarter. So it should be in the next uh, month and a half, maybe three months. And then uh, we'll be airing. They'll be airing it like throughout the throughout the year. Oh wow, that's great! Yeah, so, some people can watch for that, and we'll definitely put some links up when we find it. And we yeah. have clips. Part of the fun of doing this together is we shot forty eight hours of awesome. We we did as many kind of fun, gnarly things as we could uh, in that forty eight hours. But there was there's a lot of content that won't won't make the show. That's more appropriate for fans of the Excess brand, yeah. fans of Kick Aspirational. Well, I think just trying to find Tiny, the the, the yeah. lengths that we had to do to find Carl Tiny Williams once there. Why do you call him Teeny all the time? No, <laughs> Tiny. <laughs> I, that is, I did not call you Teeny. For the record. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then we also went to a Warriors game with. Um, one of the one of the local. Oh well, okay. local so heroes. yeah, another yeah. and that's uh, this gets back to the relationships. Uh, Brooke Howard Smith, who I've known for years back, uh, he used to live over here and worked for a, a clothing company, a skating company called Senate. But he's back over there, has a place in Wahiki, uh, Wahiki Island, which is a wine producing island, which we went to Manawar Winery. But Brooke, by you know connecting with Brooke, then he hooks me up with uh, Stay Wahiki, which is this amazing place where you can go and you can rent people's homes. You saw that. I mean, the place we stayed at Manor. It was unbelievable. We, we stayed <laughs> in wineries. these uh, probably turn, you know, like turn of the century, like 18, 1900s cottages that were right on the water, on the on the bay and in Wahiki. It's and the only winery that you can sail to. And not only did you can sail yeah. to it, but our friend Brooke and Hariana Manuel from uh, the, the, the Ferns, she's a Olympic rugby player, they flew in on a seaplane. Just landed there and then landed, partied for the afternoon. Yeah, and then we, yeah. we cooked uh, cooked up lobster with Nick Honeyman from a uh, famed, famed restaurant, uh, Butter, in Auckland, and I forget the restaurant in Europe. So uh, I'm excited for everyone to see it because I, I think uh, 
the, the, the show has definitely evolved and it's, uh, it's starting to implement really local narratives like the Man of War and, and the rugby uh, to what we did down in Queenstown with, um, you know, everything from sheep shearing to uh, trout fishing. Yeah, it's not just adventure. It's, it's really about the, the, the lifestyle and the experience, right? I mean, it's, it's the place you stay. It's the food you eat. It's the people you it's meet. It's a combination. Yeah, you just, it, it, we never wanted to do just sport porn. We, want, you know, we yeah. wanted to have a layer and subtext and, um, uh, you know, the interesting backstory. Like, well, the thing we haven't mentioned, one of the other features is we go down to Raglan and we hook up with... Um, hook up with a local chef who basically goes right. He forages in the back of his house and grabs seaweed, and then takes <laughs> local local uh, local octopus. And went out there with uh, one of the winners, Daniel Kediopa, who's uh, he's a Maori, uh, you know, famed waterman, one ultimate waterman, and does so much for the local community to teach the kids how to surf. So we hang out with him. We go surfing. We see how he he interacts with the kids locally. We hang out with his shaper, local shaper there in Raglan. And then drink Stein lagers and eat octopus uh, seaweed salad on this guy's caught fresh that day. Yeah, and then we, we also didn't we also uh, I mean that was when we stayed in Queenstown we stayed at the, the Sherwood um, which is the Sherwood Lodge or Sherwood Hotel. Such a unique and that I really that's, again foraging right. Yeah, and it's the uh, the onus on is always on me to try to sniff out these unique places to stay. I love things that are just slightly different. I I don't really like the over the top you know. Nothing against Four Seasons and Ritz, but I I like finding these little diamonds in the rough, uh, really unique, creative places. And not only did they have their own local spice and vegetable garden, but surrounding the garden was a pump track, a BMX pump track. That's right. I mean, it was, and then the style from from the food to the the people that worked in the establishment, uh, Sherwood is definitely, it's a a cut above. Uh, It it was a beautiful place to stay. Overlooking the lake, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the... It, everything was kind of handcrafted or, or, you know, they had this, a great, whoever was editing and sourcing the, the, the beds to the blankets. I mean, the whole thing was There's was a thoughtfulness amazing. to it. And then there's, yeah. a, there's an aesthetic that I hope we always kind of connect back to with um, our shows is that, you know, with these places that we stay, there's, there's the um, kind of a thoughtfulness and, a, and a, an intentional approach to how they want the aesthetic and the experience to be. And it seems like every place, we've been really, really lucky, every place we've stayed, in its own unique way, answers or checks all those boxes. It was half the fun was, you know, being surprised by the places we would stay uh, and in a really positive way. The thing that struck me, too, was the the chef there. He was, you know, he grew all of their own herbs and vegetables. But the other thing was they he had a foraging schedule where uh, he knew where mushrooms were popping up or different things were happening in the South Island. And he had a crew that would go harvest and bring it back. And so the menu each night was not not just locally sourced. It was locally foraged which yeah, is chef really Kane, crazy uh, yeah. he, he uh, you know once again uh, local like born and raised in new zealand and really really connected with the culture and adamant that the you know these ingredients that have been forgotten trying to infuse that into his uh, into his cooking which is so cool so yeah that's that's exciting well we'll, we'll keep an eye out for outs the new outside tv series uh well Worth watching on outside TV, found on pretty much every cable network. Yeah, and Roku, um, Sling. I'm trying to think of uh, on uh, beyond the linear components, but you can. Uh, and they can go to outsidetv.com uh-huh. to find out where it where where it airs and when they can watch it. You may, and you should. Yeah, you better. And yeah. Uh, let me ask you one other question, Pat, before we, we wrap up here. So um, you've you've been uh, progressing and and building a life that you want to live rather than a life that. You know, being offered to you from somebody else, you've you've forged this life. You know, on sounds very organically as you're pursuing the things you love and enjoy and, and, and discovering those. What's next for Pat Parnell? Where do you go from here? What's the do you have a vision for the future? Or do you? Well, I'd uh, yeah, it, it's funny you ask that. I mean, I, I feel like looking into 2019, 2020. Um, we're definitely we're definitely trying to up the the travel component and the and the brand building of offering these experiences to other people, not just right. like you and I. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's trying to um, commodify, uh, quantify, commodify, and then maybe um, simplify offering these, these types of experiences so, to other people. So somebody set, sees what we did in New Zealand as an example, or what you did in Iceland, yeah. to be able to, to have somebody say, hey, I want to do that, but rather than have to go research it all themselves, you can just make a kind of turnkey for exactly. them. Exactly. So that's 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 one aspect, but I, we want to continue to grow the expedition 
serious and take it more. I mean, we've been doing one a year. I mean, that's just on the side. Um, the Outlook Outlook show is uh, continuing to get, get bigger, and we've got backing this year. It's going to probably double double the amount of episodes there. So kind of continue with um, all that stuff. And then there's some, some uh, couple secret little things in the secret hopper. Secret projects. Yeah, which I, you know, I'm always one to stay tight-lipped until it's, it's done done. That's so. that's that's wise. Yeah. Well, um, Pat, it's a pleasure. Thank yeah. you for coming on the Kick Aspirational Podcast. We're yeah. looking forward to uh, more trips together, yeah. and um, don't fight the fun. I'm not because I think uh, we still got like a two to three foot swell behind us, and it's slightly still side shore. So I'm gonna get on it. It's time to get out there. We are at the Excess Center for Optimal Fun today down in Laguna Beach at the Pacific Edge Hotel. It is available for our, uh, our friends of excess to use during the week. You might want to get on it. If you haven't uh, visited us lately, it is a ton of fun, and we are about to have some of our own. So whatever you do this week, remember that, um, that this is not a spectator sport. We would love your engagement, interaction. We love your questions and concerns. You can hit me up at David58, D-A-V-E-E-D-5-8. Pat, what's your Instagram? Well, 58, I'm judging that's the year you were born. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my Instagram is uh, Patitude. Patitude. It's yeah. the Patitude yeah. um, on Instagram. So you can look up Pat, too. Ask him questions if you, if you have some. I'm sure you will. And uh, whatever you do this week, please get out there and be kick-aspirational.